Well, good morning, church. Always good to get together, and it is a holiday weekend. I know people are on about traveling, vacationing, they're at the lake, they're at ball tournaments, they're everywhere, and uh, we pray for them for safety, and, and uh, we pray that everybody has a safe holiday the next couple of days, whether you're working or not, enjoying the fireworks, barbecuing, whatever it may be, be safe, and make sure you praise God for the freedom that He has given us in our nation. Amen. I'm going to, uh, before we get going into the message here, and I know we're dismissing grades 3 to 4 to their class, I'm going to ask a special family to come up because this is their last Sunday at True North. And so, uh, Steve and Mindy and kids, would you guys come on up, please? I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Landon and Alexi can join. Dave, our staff, our elders, would you please all come forward? And we'll just, uh, why don't you come on up here? Just come off the side here. We want to pray for you as this is your last Sunday and your move to Tennessee uh, becomes final. And uh, it was 10 years ago when we planted this church in January, and you were part of that plant. Um, So this has been your home church for 10 years, and now that we have a building and moved in, we're kicking you out. So... um, (laughs) Steve was excited about that. He shared with me. He's like, man, we finally got a building and we're leaving. And it's like, well, hey, it happened to Moses. It happens to the best of us. So, um, But seriously, we are so thankful for your family and what you've done in being a part of this church and, uh, and how you have ministered to so many uh, in the youth and the children and in the, with the women and men in this church. And so, uh, you know, we lose not, not God, I can't look at you. Um, so they're just so handsome. Um, beautiful family, so um, known you guys for such a long time and been such a blessing uh, through the thick and thin ups and downs in lives, uh, the emotions of what it means to be a part as friends and family as a church. Uh, but we know this: you're in good hands. Uh, you are going with God, and He is taking you to a new journey in life, and He's going to bless you all. We know that. But as a church, we want to pray that upon you. Uh, so I'm going to ask if you guys could step behind, just put hands on the. On the, Willman, uh, on the Cheney family. <laughs> and uh, as we pray for uh, Steve and Mindy, um, that you are just such godly parents, continue to lead in the life of uh, Aiden and Wynn, <clears throat> that you're just blessed. And you have new friends and uh, a new church home and that things go well with your job and your ministry that you will soon partake in down there. So let's just pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Steve and Mindy, for Aiden and Wynn, for what you have done in their life and they're continuing to do in their life. God, like our family, they're not perfect. (laughs) They make mistakes just like we make mistakes. But the impact that they have been making in this church for 10 years and in this community for more than that has been a blessing for all the relationships they have in the school and at work and the church and the community. We thank you for those relationships. We know they're not coming to an end. They're just going to change. But God, we pray for a blessing upon their family as they start a new journey in Tennessee with a new church family a new work situation, and with their family. They're surrounded uh, with their own personal family there, so they're not alone. But God, more importantly, you are with them, so we know they're not alone. So God, lift them up. Encourage them. May they have an incredible journey moving forward. We thank you, Lord, for their lives. In the name we pray, amen. Bless you guys. Love you guys.
Make sure you give this family big hugs as they go out today. They could use it. We could all use it. Amen? Very thankful for different people that come along in our lives. And there's times we just need to stop and say thank you. Uh, This was one of those moments. It seems like at Thanksgiving, that's a good time to be thankful, right? Every day is a good day to be thankful. Uh, For the good that comes along in life, the bad, the challenges, the trials, the tests, the joys. We have much to be thankful for. You know, one morning a woman, um, she was a known atheist. She stepped out of her front door uh, and she's looking out on the hillside, out in the country, and she was taken back by the beautiful morning it was. The inlet that she was living on just sparkled. And the air was fresh and crisp. The sky was as blue as she'd ever seen it. And a distant mountain in, off to her, her left, she just looked at it and she just was so overwhelmed. She paused and then she shouted with all the joy in the world. She said, thank you, thank you for this wonderful morning. Remember, she's an atheist. And a neighbor just so happened to be walking by down that little country road. And she said, who are you talking to? And she saw the woman's enthusiasm. And the woman sort of thought about it for a while. And she paused. She couldn't come up with an answer. Here she was exclaiming joy for the beauty of what she'd seen. And very thankful, thankful. Thank you. But who is she thanking? She didn't know. We know, don't we? I believe that we are created to respond in thanksgiving. I believe when God created us, he created us with an inner being that says, give thanks. See what I've done. Look at my creation. Look at my handiwork. Give thanks. Give thanks to me. So we give thanks to God, right? To the one whom this woman had no idea who she should give thanks to. I was walking into a ballpark a few weeks ago. There's a tournament going on there at this baseball park. And as I walked in, there was a team off to my side. They just finished their game. This was probably 12, 13-year-olds, maybe 14-year-olds. And they just got done finished. And the parents, very gracious, very generous, brought in a bunch of boxes of pizza. They must have had another game they are going to play right afterwards. So they didn't even leave the dugout. The, the parents set these pizzas right on this like cement ledge there right outside the dugout. And, and the kids come out to have a little piece of pizza and refuel or whatever and get back out to another game in a few minutes. And the one kid walks home and pops open the box. I'm sort of watching this and just because I'm sitting there thinking we do this all the time, right? And I'm watching this team and this kid. And he pops up and goes, oh, this looks gross. My first thought was, dude, close the box. You go to the end of the line. You're very ungrateful. That was my first thought, right? I mean, are you kidding me? Some gracious parents spent a lot of money to feed these kids, and the first thing that comes out of this young boy's mouth is, ew, that's gross. Another thing that came to my mind in that moment is I thought, you know how many pizza don't get, or how many people don't get pizza delivered to their dugout? Do you know how many people don't have the opportunity to have parents that are going to pay money so they can go play a sport and travel all around and go out to eat and see things they've never seen before and do things they've never done before? I think of all those parents who make those sacrifices, and then you have that child who's like, that's all? This is gross. Not understanding the sacrifices made. Showing an attitude of what? 
ingratitude, being unthankful. Those two stories that I start off sharing with you are stories that are taking me into today's message because we were created to have a relationship with the God of this universe. We were created to worship one God. And in part of that worship is to show our gratitude. When we sang this morning, when you come here, we are collectively worshiping God. We are collectively coming and giving God thanks, singing to Him. You could have done this at home, right? We, we could have. We could have done this somewhere else. But that's not what God asked us to do. He asked us to come together to worship Him, to give Him thanks. And we do that because we know who's in charge of this universe. We know who's given us what we don't deserve. And so we say, thank you, God. And we come here and we worship Him. Turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We want to continue our, our series on living in the last days. Paul's warning us of impending dangerous times. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 5. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful. They'll be proud. They'll scoff at God. We talked about that. Blasphemers. right? They'll be disobedient to their parents. They'll be ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They'll slander others. They'll have no self-control. They'll be cruel. They'll hate what's good. They'll betray their friends. They'll be reckless. They'll be puffed up with pride. They'll love pleasure rather than God. They'll act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. You know, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote this, and he warned us, and he said, listen, it's critical to know this. It's critical that you acknowledge this. It's critical that you pay attention to what I'm going to say here, and that is you are, have been alerted to the fact that you are now living in perilous times, in difficult times, in a world where we don't just deal with natural disasters. We deal with the mankind, his evil, his depravity, and his falling away from God, his sinfulness, the wickedness. And when we look specifically at verses 2 and 3 here, last week we covered what it meant about being boastful and, and proud and scoffing at God and disobedient to parents. But there's three I really want us to look at this time. The first one is being ungrateful. And it says they'll consider nothing sacred. That's unholy. So let's go in with the uns right now. So we got ungrateful. We have unholy, and then we have they'll be unloving and forgiving. They'll slander others and have no self-control. So here's the top three I really want us to focus on today. The ungratefulness, the unholiness, and the unloving. These three words uh, that we're going to look at today, I want you to understand again, because when we, we draw into God's Word, it isn't one of those, hey, look out, look out, look out, and then for us Christians, we do what? Oh, I'm glad I'm not that way. Well, how do I respond to this? What do I do? We'll talk about that. But let's start with the first one. The word ungrateful or unthankful, that's pretty self-explanatory, right? Sort of how I start off sharing those two stories. But it's actually a picture of somebody who previously, they had a thankful heart. They really did. They started out, they had this thankful heart, but then they became unthankful. They became unappreciative. They no longer focus 
on the blessings that they have in their lives, but now they're focused on what they don't have. So this person here that's being described as somebody that's like, man, look at what I have. I'm so thankful. I'm so blessed. And all of a sudden the focus changes to, man, I, I don't have that though. And, I, and I'm not able to do this. All of a sudden the focus changes. They become unthankful, unappreciative. It's sort of like when we get into the holiday season, which is my favorite, October, November, December. I just love those months, okay? But we get to Thanksgiving, and what do we do? We're like so thankful. We talk, oh, we have so many blessings. And, you know, we, we're so, we sit around the table with family, and oh, thank you for the food. Thank you for my family. It's such a good time, right? We go in that attitude of thankfulness, but then we move into Christmas, which is that joyful giving. But there's also a sense of, what do I get? Right? What, hey, what do we do as parents? Hey, why don't you write down on the list what you want for Christmas? We almost put that, you're going to get something, you deserve something. But then we think, well, what do I get? What do I deserve? What am I going to get? And we don't get it, we feel gypped. Or maybe we got it and we didn't like it, so we return it. We went from this thankfulness to not so much thankful. I mean, it's not a complete loss. We are thankful for that Christmas season. We do have joy, right? But the focus comes to a lack of. This specific word here that's being used for ungrateful, for unthankful, is used one other time in the New Testament. Again, I love it how when Paul's writing here, he's like, I want to use this word again. It's only been used, you know, once maybe. It was when it was with Jesus. So he goes back to a time that Jesus was teaching. This is found in Luke chapter 6, verses 35 and 36. Jesus is teaching his disciples about how do I get along with people that are not easy to get along with. My enemies, people who maybe don't like me, I don't like them. And Jesus is having this little chit-chat with his disciples and say, Listen, I know you don't like them, but let me talk to you about what it means to love your enemies. And this is where we find this verse. In verse 35 it says, Love your enemies. Do good to them. Wow, Jesus, that's tough. And he keeps on, right? Lend to them without expecting anything to be repaid. Here, you can have this. I'm not expecting anything in return. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you'll be truly acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are... I'm sorry. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Jesus said, you know, you know the way God treats people? You know how he treats those who are unthankful and wicked? He treats them with love. You must be compassionate the same way. And it's incredible here that Jesus takes unthankful and wicked and just puts them right together. Oh yeah, by the way, if you're unthankful, you rank right up there with the wicked. Ow. He's letting us know that when we have an attitude of ingrat or an attitude of being ingratitude, of unthankfulness, of not being uh, thankful for the things that's been given to us, when we have that kind of attitude, guess what? It's a sinful attitude. It's a sinful attitude. It's evil in the sight of God. So we have to ask ourselves this question. Are we thankful for what we have? Are we thankful or do we always want more? Ask yourself that question. Every now and then as you're reading God's word, you've got to pause and stop and say, am I this way? Am, am I thankful? Or do I always want more? Do we appreciate what we have or do we want the next size up, the next bigger thing, the newer thing? And, and why is that? Church, be careful 
in playing the comparison game. I don't know if you've ever played it before, but I'm going to say we play it every day. Okay? The result is typically when you compare yourself to somebody else, you typically lose. You will typically lose. And if you're feeling really bad about yourself, then you find somebody who's even worse off than you, then you compare yourself. It's like, okay, now I feel better. Right? Don't play the comparison game. Let me give you an example. As much as I like to pick on social media, I'll pick on it again, okay? Because when you go on social media and you look at things, I'm going to say especially Facebook, be careful that you don't compare. When you get on there, if you want to get on there, that's fine. But when you get on there, don't get on there and start comparing your life to everybody else's. Because what do people put on Facebook? They put their best, right? Hey, look what I got. Look what I accomplished. Look where we went on vacation. Look at what's going on in our life. People don't look, look how horrible I'm looking today, right? Wake up selfie in the bed. This is what I woke up to. You can now too. People don't do that, right? Hey, I just got fired today. I lost everything and everything's a loss. We don't post that kind of stuff. Now, we might share those kind of things at times, but we don't go on saying, this is what I like to do. We post our best, right? That's just the way it is. You know what happens when you read that? This is what can, can happen. Beware. Wow, look what they got. Wish I had one of those. Look where they went on vacation. We never go there. Oh, look what they just got to do. Oh, I never get to do that. All of a sudden, where's our focus at? What we don't have, what we didn't do, what we didn't get. And all of a sudden, our attitude of thankfulness turns to maybe an attitude of ingratitude, of unthankfulness. I wish I had that, right? Be thankful for what you have. Be thankful for where you go. Be thankful for what you've accomplished. And be thankful for what you don't have and what you don't accomplish and where you don't go as well. Be thankful. Don't play the comparison game. You'll lose every time. The desire that you deserve or must have always leads to unthankful hearts. Let me say, especially to the young people in here, if you think, I've got to have this, I've got to have this, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to struggle in life. Because you're going to develop an attitude of ingratitude because it's like, well, I never get this. My friends get, be careful with that. Because that will turn into an attitude of being unthankful for what has been given to you. Colossians 3, 14 to 16 says this. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which leads, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Let the peace that comes from Jesus Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and always be thankful. Say that with me. Always be thankful. Look at the person next to you and tell them, always be thankful. Tell them. Yes, always be thankful. Paul goes on to tell the Colossians this. uh, Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach, counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. 1988, a Polish railway worker, his name was uh, Jan Grzebski. He was hit by a train. Good news is he lived. The bad news is that he barely lived, and for 19 years he was in a coma. After 19 years, he came out of his coma. He woke in 2007 to a whole new world. 19 years earlier, Poland was a communist state. And he noted that back then, 
things were rationed in a huge way. He said there were lines at every gas station and every grocery store. He said that uh, there was only tea and vinegar in the shops. So that's when he was in his coma. Nineteen years later, he awakens to this. He says, I woke to a free nation where people were on the streets with cell phones. And there were many goods in the shops. It began to make my head spin. And then he said this, but this puzzles me. What amazes me, all these people who walk around with their cell phones, yet they never stop moaning, wanting more. These people had freedom. They had food. They had wealth greater than they did 19 years earlier for decades. And when he awoke from his coma, from a time when he had to stand in line maybe to get one loaf of bread and stand in line to maybe get two gallons of gas, to stand in line to find just tea and vinegar, 19 years later, there's an abundance of stuff. And people are now moaning more. It was puzzling to him. All they seemed to do was grumble. So let's pause and ask these questions. What are you thankful for? Church, what are you thankful for? Are you, are you thankful for your home? Next time you see somebody who's been evicted from their apartment or somebody's been kicked out or somebody's standing on the street corner homeless, next time you go to Cherry Street Mission to help or serve in one way or another, pause. Thank God for your home. Are you thankful for this church? I'm telling you, after 10 years of setting up and tearing down chairs and all that, I'm very thankful for our church, aren't you? And not just a building, but a church body to worship with. People that encourage me with their faith and their strength, their prayers. How about your body, your physical body? body? Now listen, maybe we don't have ripping abs, okay? Or maybe uh, that slim body, or maybe our waist is bulging more than our muscles, okay? And maybe you don't like that, okay? And maybe that bothers you. But have you thanked God for what you do have? Last time you saw somebody without fingers or toes, an arm or leg or whatever, somebody who's blind, somebody who's deaf, you see somebody fighting to survive on a deathbed, hooked up to oxygen, have you thanked God for your physical body today? It's maybe not the exact perfect body you wanted, but God's given you breath today. It's a good thing to be thankful for, isn't it? How about your Bible? Are you thankful for a Bible? We were just talking the other day about, not too long ago, we were smuggling Bibles into China. You remember that? I mean, you couldn't get God's Word into certain countries. You had to smuggle it in there. People have to memorize. And there's still some places today where people have to memorize Scripture and hide it so that they don't get caught and put in prison. Aren't you thankful that we have access to the Bible that we can read every day and find encouragement and truth? Are you thankful for your family? Oh, we, we, none of us in here have the perfect family. Again, I, we post it on Facebook, right? But we're not perfect, are we? We're not perfect. But I'm so thankful for our family. Psalm 105.1. Let me read these scriptures to you. Psalm 105.1 says this. Give thanks to the Lord. Proclaim His greatness. Let the whole world know what He has done. Psalm 109.30 says, But I will give repeated thanks to the Lord, praising Him to everyone. Psalm 136, he, we are commanded 11 times to give thanks in that one psalm. Give thanks to the Lord. 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 Say it with me. Give thanks to the Lord. 
Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Three more times. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Eleven times the psalmist is saying, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord. And it's like, I wonder what he's trying to tell us. <laughs> you ever come along with Scripture, like, I wonder what God wants me to do. Hello? Psalm 136, I think it's pretty clear, right? See, when we refuse to give thanks to God, when we say, I really don't need to be thankful, Paul describes mankind as becoming dark and confused. When we say, I'm done giving thanks, or I'm really not thankful right now, guess what happens? There's a darkness, there's a confusion that comes upon mankind. Referring back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2-3, according to Paul, he says, when you're boasting, when you're proud, when you're blaspheming and scoffing God, when you're doing things your way, you're disobeying your parents, you know what happens? You become ungrateful. You become unthankful. And you know what the next thing is that happens? You become unholy. It ties right in. One leads to the other. When we stop expressing a heart of gratitude towards God, guess what happens? We become very unholy. Attitudes begin to materialize. And these attitudes are soon followed by blatant, unholy behavior. As soon as you see somebody becoming very unthankful, not too long you're going to start seeing a bunch of other bad decisions being made. Paul wrote, in Romans chapter 1, verses 20, 22. Turn there with me, would you please? The book of Romans, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 20. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Listen very carefully to this. It says, For ever since the world was created... People have seen the earth and the sky. So think about this. From the beginning of, of time, people wake up, they walk outside, they, they see the earth, they see the sky, they see the moon, the stars, the sun, they see the trees, they see mountains, they see rivers, they see the ocean. They've seen the earth and the sky. Though everything, through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities. By looking at creation, we can see God's eternal power. We can see his divine nature. So we have no excuse for not knowing God. So somebody walks outside, like that lady who walked outside. Woo, this is incredible, right? Thank you, thank you for this beautiful, beautiful scenery, right? You know, like, woo, you know. Who's she thanking? There's nobody else to thank but God, the creator of that. Paul tells us there's no excuse for not knowing God. But look at verse 21. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even what? Give him thanks. And they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. When you start beginning to be ungrateful and unthankful, you are basically turning your nose to God. And when that happens... Darkness, confusion, unholiness steps right in. It's obvious there's a God. His divine power and nature are evident. And Paul links worship and thankfulness right together. It seems that in just a few short decades, our society has evolved, right, from sanctioning open prayer in public schools to outlawing God altogether in public places. And instead of acknowledging God as the supreme creator, society doesn't really want to recognize God at all anymore. And when the recognition of God is removed, guess what happens? Everything evil steps in its place. As soon as we remove God, something's got to fill the void. You take God out, guess what comes in? Darkness. Evil. Right? It takes root and it spreads. And if a society recognizes God 
And if a society has a high moral code, that's good. But when God is removed, man immediately begins to slide downward into sin and corruption. Church, listen to me. Unthankfulness leads to unholiness. And in this verse, the word used for unholiness, which in some translations you might say, consider nothing sacred, it describes a person who was once ruled again by holiness. Just like the thankful person, they were once thankful, they're no longer thankful. This person was once holy, they're no longer holy so much. They used to revere that which was holy and sacred and pure and sanctioned by God. They used to do that, but they became contaminated by the unholy, by the unsacred, by the impure. They made the choice to embrace attitudes and actions that are basically opposite of God. And God warns us throughout Scripture to be aware of the pull of the world and the impurities of the world and its lure that takes us away from holiness. Paul once wrote in a letter to his friends at the Corinthian church as he was just sort of discussing this with them about falling away to cultural temptations. He said this, Don't you realize that sins like a little yeast that spreads to the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing the wicked person from among you. Then you'll be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast. That's what you really are. Now, some of us are going, why is he talking about baking bread and sinful people? Right? But the leaven mentioned isn't merely yeast, but the pinch of dough that was left over from some previous batch, as in the making of like a sourdough bread. And that's how bread was commonly leavened in the ancient world. They took just a little bit out of the old and they put a pinch of that back into the new to cause the dough to rise up and to puff up. In this way, the work of the yeast was supposed to illustrate how sin worked in our life. You take a little bit of sin and you put it in a person and it puffs up and it blows up. It's a little bit of contamination that causes a lot of damage. So yeast in the Bible often represented sin. And Paul clearly isn't pulling any punches here. He says, man, listen, a little bit of sin or poison goes a long way in destroying a life. Be aware of that. Get rid of the sin so you can live as God intends you to live. But what do we do? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. Peter says this, So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old way of living or satisfy your old desires. You don't know any, you didn't know any better then, but now you must live holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. Do you hear that? We're being told as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to be holy in everything we do, just as Jesus Christ was holy. Peter went on to say, for the scripture says, you must be holy because I am holy. Church, we have like a standard, this aim to go towards, a focus, to live holy lives as Jesus Christ lived his life. And holy means that means we're set apart, we're different. To be like God means to be different from the world. When Paul says that in times people are unholy, Paul's describing basically this. He's saying activities and actions that are going to be impure, they're going to be improper, they're going to be unclean, indecent, they're going to be coarse, vulgar, they're going to be offensive, they're going to be crude, they're going to be rude. That's the actions of what happens when you remove God out of the picture and you start living these unholy lives. Now, you take one evening, I'll just challenge you with this. Actually, don't do this, but you could if you want. Take one evening and just turn on your TV. Flip through all the channels and see what's out there. 
it won't take long for you to quickly discover impure, unclean, crude, rude, vulgar, obscene, offensive, right? What we once considered vulgar is now widely accepted. What we once considered crude and offensive is your norm. And that's scary. What God calls unholy, our society says, that's funny. And we laugh at that which God calls unholy. Let me give you an example. I remember the boys and I, um, one evening we were going to go watch a movie. This was a couple years ago. We got to the movie theaters at the back of a mall. So people are coming in and out. And this, this other couple comes walking out. And they're probably, I'm going to say, 15, 20 years older than me. And they come walking out, and they said, going to the movies? And look at their boys, like, yeah. And uh, they just they said, we just saw a funny movie. We're the Millers. And I'm looking at them going, you went to go see that movie? Now, I'd not seen it. I'd read about it, okay? But I'm sitting there thinking, I'm, I'm, I, was, I was waiting for them to say, we just went to see Gone with the Wind, and we loved it. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Maybe it was like they just went to some nostalgic movie, this, this older couple, and they looked like they'd had a good evening. And yeah, we just saw We're the Millers. It's a hilarious movie. You ought to go see it. Ah, uh, no, I don't think so. We gave him sort of a half smile, appreciated his kind suggestion, and we walked into the movie theater to go watch what we were going to go watch. Now listen, I don't want to say this. I'm not judging this man and woman right now, and actually that probably sounds like I am, but I, when I looked at them, I was not assuming they would go see a movie like that. It really wasn't. They said it's a great comedy. Here's what I did. I went to PluggedIn.com. And here's, here's a website for you parents to survey the movie. And for the teens, because actually I challenged my boys every time. Hey, we want to go see this. I said, go there, check it out. You tell me if it's a good movie you think you ought to see as a Christian. Okay? It's got movies. It's got music. It's got all kinds of stuff on there. Okay? Sure enough, the movie, Where the Millers, was aimed at family. It, it was supposed to be this family-oriented movie, right? Uh, connection. Well, the heart might be in the right place, but the rest of the movie is rolling around in basically a proverbial guller of wallowing in sex and drugs and profanity. The F word is used 110 times. 110 times. That's once or more every minute of that movie. Boom, here it comes. Every minute, boom, here it comes again, right? Now, along with many other swear words, Jesus' name is abused four times and once with the F word. God's name is misused more than 30 times. Okay? Now, I'm sure there have been many who have watched the movie. So there might be somebody in here this movie, maybe in this morning, but there's others who have watched that movie and they're shocked. Like, really? Wow, I don't, I don't remember that. I didn't realize that. And here's I'm going to tell you why. Okay? Because we become so culturally ingrained with what goes on around us that we're sort of insensitive to what is happening now. We don't even see it. There's a lot of movies that weren't exactly edifying, and you may be like a lot of people who say, hey, profanity, violence, sex in the movies, doesn't really bother me, okay? If it doesn't bother me, then it's no big deal. Sometimes that's the phrase we might use, right? But let me tell you something. If you're a Christian, if I'm a Christian, don't you think we should have some kind of boundary somewhere? A way to discern what pleases God, what moves us closer to God instead of moving us away from God? I mean, can we really endure an onslaught of profanity and not get wounded? Now, I don't want to sound like I'm being legalistic here in this, okay? So bear with me, but think about this. 
what if I got up here and preached a sermon this morning and I dropped the F-bomb 110 times in my sermon? Would that bother you? Good. I actually saw some heads nodding. Good. And it wasn't a... Okay. It was a... Yeah, it would. Thank you. That was like an affirmation too. Somebody got whiplash over there. Like, yes. Okay. okay. Um, 50 times. Is that okay? 20? I'm going to guess if I did it just once, you'd be severely offended, right? And I'm going to guess if I dropped it that many times, attendance would drop and I would probably drop too, right? Okay? But here's the thing. If we think that's unacceptable, then why do we find it acceptable to go pay money to go watch people act that way and say those things? We've got to ask these tough questions. If it's not okay for me to say certain things or you to say certain things or make particular jokes or reference in church, then why is it okay outside the church wall? This is just a building. We the people are the church. We have God's Holy Spirit within us. It's not like we entertain ourselves and we separate these things out. You know what I'm saying? It's not like we have a fishing tack with all these little compartments. Oh, bad language over there. That over there. This over there. This over there. You know, boom, boom. Oh, Christianity right there. That's not the way it works. Take out the compartments. It's like one big bowl. And everything's getting mixed together in there. Every part of our life affects another part of our life. Every part of what we put our hands to affects us spiritually. And our spiritual life affects everything else we do. And unfortunately, we allow the world to affect our Christianity more than we allow our Christianity to affect the world. That's the way it should be. Our faith, our standing in Christ should be a bigger impact in the culture than allowing the culture to impact us. But sometimes we forget that, that we have the one who is the ultimate victor living inside us. Now, as I said, I don't want to sound legalistic. Okay, let me tell you what legalism is. Legalism is this, judging others because they don't conform to this extra-biblical code of conduct. Okay? Because here's the thing. We know what God's Word says, but sometimes in our lives, we have maybe a little extra-biblical code. Okay? In our house, there are certain words that we're just not going to use. I know we don't prefer them. They're not, there's not, they're not swear words, but there's certain words that we like, you know what, it's not a good word to use. That's sort of our extra, extra code of conduct, okay? Now, me taking that and placing that upon you and judging you for using it, that's legalism. Growing up, if I wore jeans in the church that I went to, I was looked down upon. That's legalism. There's nothing in the Bible about wearing jeans, okay? But if I'm forcing my thought, you know what, I don't think I should wear jeans in church... Okay, that's, that's my extra-biblical code of conduct, if you want to say. But to judge you on that, that's legalism. I want to make sure we're clear on this. My insisting that you conform to my code of conduct is legalism. It's judging based on that extra-biblical code, okay? So we may have different things in our life. And when it comes to what I've been talking about, for example, that movie, I don't think I'm being legalistic here in sharing that. Discerning what is acceptable or not isn't always easy, and I don't want to preach legalism. But if you're unsure of what's right or wrong, as you're listening to this this morning, is this holy or unholy? Err on the side of holiness. If I handed you a bottle of water, I said, well, it's, I think 80% sure that there's no poison in here. Want a drink? 
I'm going to guess 100% of you are not going to, because I gave you an 80% chance. You would want 100% chance. No thanks, I'll find another bottle of water that's 100% safe from poison. So if you're unsure of certain things in your life, movies, media, music, uh, relationships, whatever it may be, you're like, I don't know if this is holy or unholy or not, err on the side of holiness. If it's not clear in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says this in 22. Uh, it says, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what's good. Stay away from every kind of evil. James 4, 4 says this, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. I don't know about you, I do not want to be an enemy of God. So let's see, if I'm doing this, does this make me a friend of the world or an enemy of God? Okay, if I'm not culturally fitting in right now because I don't say certain things or watch certain things, so be it, I'd rather be in good with God, not an enemy of God. You follow me at this church? Now, referring back to Paul, this unthankfulness, this unholiness, they go right together, right? And we begin to place our focus on God. This is what we need to do, okay? Because we talked about these dangers, right? So what do we do? Here's what David did. Psalm 103, 2. He said this. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. So here's the thing. You find yourself maybe being ungrateful or unholy. Stop. Put your focus back on God. What has he done for you? That's a good place to start. That's a great place to start. In that moment of difficulty, David paused to remind himself that God's been good to him. You know, God's been good to me. In the midst of maybe things that have gone on in my life, i got a bigger list of all these great things God's done for me that will cause me to be grateful. And if I'm grateful and I'm worshiping God, I'm probably moving in the right direction to be more holy with God instead of unholiness. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. I know we didn't get to that unloving part. We'll save that one for next week. But being ungrateful and unholy, we're being warned here. Listen, it's time to wake up and understand that if we start sliding this direction, it will lead into a bigger, bigger mess. Romans chapter 12 Verses 1 and 2 says this. So here's what I want you to do. And I'm going to read this from a different translation. It's the message. But listen very carefully. Paul says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Everybody following me in this, what Paul's saying? You're sleeping. You're eating. You're going to work. You're walking around life. Your Monday to Friday work, your Saturday to work, your Sunday. Place it before God as an offering. God, I'm giving you today to you. I'm giving you my Sunday. I'm giving you my Monday. Embrace what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. What has God done for me? Thank you, God. Embrace that. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you. Quickly respond to it. If God's yanking on your heart this morning saying, you know what, I need to, I need to boy, I've, I've been ungrateful. I've been given some things. I've not told those people thanks. I've not thanked my parents. I've not thanked my kids. I've not thanked my spouse. I've not thanked my friends. I need to be more thankful. If God's tugging on you, act on it. 
If you've got things going on in your life right now that you steadily, steadily decline down this path of unholiness, God's saying, uh-uh, clean it up. Act on it. We just sang the song, I surrender all. Did you surrender that? If not, surrender to him. Paul goes on to say, after fix your attention to God, he says, you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you. Quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to the level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-informed maturity in you. Unthankfulness, unholiness, let it not be in us, church. Thankfulness, holiness, let that be us, church. Do not let this culture drag you down. Let God raise you up. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. You are so holy, so mighty, so incredible. We have so much to be thankful for, and sometimes we forget and we become very self-centered, and maybe we just become ungracious and attitude of ingratitude we just we forget to be thankful and God we know that when that happens we start making some bad choices that leads to unholiness God you've called us to be holy different from the world we might have somebody walk up to say this is a great movie well it might be a great movie for you but not for me because you see I know that would harm my faith it would cause me to be unholy. And my goal, my striving is to be holy as God is holy. We're a church. We're set apart. No excuses. Nothing to be ashamed of. God, we want to worship you this morning. A holy God that you are. Fill us with your love. Fill us with your passion as we worship you. In our name we pray. Amen.